Good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. Um, I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged after last week's service. Our Good Friday and Resurrection Day gatherings were incredible and wonderful. Uh, the church lunch was fantastic. Uh, I probably gained a couple pounds over that one. Um, I'm looking forward, we had a right hand of fellowship as well, I'm looking forward to see how the Lord uses each of the new members of this church. My heart is full of thankfulness to God for all that He is doing in our midst. I'm constantly amazed as I witness the work of the Spirit among us and through us. Now, I'm not a, unaware, not unaware, unaware at all of the many difficulties facing this body of believers I'm aware that we have struggles, but I'm also thankful. But I'm thankful that the Spirit is working through those things, through those difficulties and trials to knit our hearts together in love and to grow us in maturity in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 1-2, Paul told the church that he always, he always gives thanks to God for all of them. Many times we can read over a statement like that without really reflecting on what is being said. For me, I don't know about you, but for me, it's that little word always which trips me up. I take that to mean that he gives thanks in all circumstances for all the folks in the church at Thessalonica. With that statement, Paul is actually modeling one aspect of what it means to be filled filled with the Spirit. An unceasing thankfulness to God for all things. If we're honest with ourselves... Uh, we know that we don't always give thanks in every situation. Matter of fact, there are times when we don't give thanks. For you, it could be the most challenging circumstances in life which trip you up. Things like sickness and death, rebellious children, sinning spouse, loss of uh, a job, or strife in the body of Christ. Perhaps it's the more mundane things that trip you up, such as your car, the Maybe it's not as good as you want it to be, or your house is not as large as you want it to be, or your job is not the job in the city you want it to be in, or your school is not in the city you want it to be in, or maybe not as good as you want it to be, or your living circumstances. So the question is, the question is, how do we cultivate a heart of thankfulness in every circumstance, whether the incredibly difficult, or the rather ordinary? I believe that Paul gives us this answer, the answer in today's passage. So let me pray, and then we'll read Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21, and we're going to focus this morning on verse 20. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, this gathering. Just pray that you would be honored by the preaching of your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that you would give me clarity of mind and pureness of heart, that I would decrease, and that you would increase. In Christ's name, amen. It has been said, actually, let me read the, let me read the passage. I almost jumped in too quickly. It happens. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, I'm amazed as I read through that, that uh, some of you ladies, many of you ladies have actually memorized that passage, uh, the entire chapter, of, uh, chapter, and so uh, I'm, I'm thinking of I'm hearing an echo as I, as I read through. Well, it has been said that we exhibit a degree of thanksgiving in life in reverse proportion to the number of blessings we've received. And for my part, I think this is true. As Martin Luther wrote in his book, Table Talk, he says, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. A hungry man is more thankful for his morsel than a rich man for his heavily laden table. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate a visit more than a popular woman with a party thrown in her honor. A Russian who finally gets his copy of, Holy, of the Holy Scriptures after 75 years of state-imposed atheism is more thankful for his little book than we are for all the Christian books and magazines and translations that overflow our shelves. Ralph Waldo Emerson observed that if the constellations appeared only once in a thousand years, imagine what an exciting event it would be. But because they're there every night, we barely give them a passing glance. The greater our responsibilities and pay at work, the more bitterly we complain about our situation. The grander and more spacious our homes, the more we feel confined. I know my flesh has a tendency toward a lack of thankfulness. Let me stop real quick. Could y'all check the, the uh, thermostat? It's a little cool in here. I, it's cool to me, so I can only imagine. I'm, I'm watching Miss Elaine, and, and I, uh, it was worth stopping the, the, my momentum for taking care of her. Oh, you're welcome. I just couldn't, I just can't stand <laughs> to watch you. So, while he was at, while he was in the Nazi death camp in Auschwitz, Viktor Frankl learned to take time to be thankful and count his blessings. He wrote that prisoners in the camp dreamed at night about a certain set of things more than anything else. They dreamed about bread, cakes, and nice warm baths, the very things that we take for granted every day. And Frankel said that the prisoners around him began to appreciate beauty as never before, again in the stark contrast to, to Auschwitz. He wrote, If someone had seen our faces on the journey from Auschwitz to a, to a Bavarian camp, as we beheld the mountains of Salzburg with their summits glowing in the sunset through a li the little barred windows of our prison carriage, he would have never believed that they, those were the faces of men who had given up all hope of life and liberty. Despite that factor, only or maybe because of it, we were carried away by nature's beauty, which we had missed for so long. Similarly, Gerda Weissman was held in a Nazi death camp, and she recalled one spring when she and her fellow inmates stood at roll call for hours on end. 
nearly collapsing with hunger and fatigue. But they noticed in the corner of that bleak, horrid, gray place that the concrete had broken and a flower had poked its head through. And the thousands of women there took great pains to avoid stepping on it. It was the only spot of beauty in their ugly and heinous world, so they were thankful for it. The Apostle Paul had been imprisoned for five years when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. He was jailed for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, yet he was thankful for his situation. Philippians was written at at a similar time frame, and in Philippians 1 he writes this in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Clearly Paul was pleased. He was pleased and thankful that his imprisonment had resulted in a greater progress for the gospel. He could have easily responded by feeling sorry for himself and and his situation. After all, he could no longer freely move around as he formerly had. Surely, the spread of the gospel would have suffered because of his absence. But he trusted in God's plan and his provision, and therefore he was thankful for his circumstances. He realized that by God's sovereignty, his imprisonment was having a positive effect on the gospel spread and the church's growth. Later in chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, he writes, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing, Paul? Nothing? But he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Could it be that the anxiety that we feel in our hearts, the worry that we have that that reigns so much over us, is because we have a lack of thankfulness? Obviously, Paul places a great emphasis on having a thankful heart before the Lord. Back in Ephesians, we will learn that giving thanks is actually a part of walking in wisdom and the result of being filled with the Spirit. Now, by way of reminder, we've been studying the letter to the church at Ephesus. In this letter, Paul urged the church at Ephesus to press forward despite the challenges. As I mentioned, Paul had been in prison for around five years when he wrote this letter. He wrote for the purpose of strengthening that church so that they would stand strong in the face of opposition. I've argued that Paul recognized the strategic importance of the church, the church at Ephesus, to the other churches in Asia Minor. And I also believe that the churches in Asia Minor form a link between the churches in the east and the churches in the west, such as the churches in the east, such as Jerusalem, and the churches in the west, such as Rome. Ephesus was the first among the churches in Asia Minor and was located near a major seaport. Therefore, I believe that Paul understood the influence of this church on the doctrine of the other churches. Therefore, he recognized the need to strengthen the body of Christ located there. Now, in the first two chapters, Paul encouraged the church with doctrinal truths about God's redemptive plan. 
In chapter 3, Paul described the ministry which God had given him in preaching to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. He also urged them not to lose heart, but to trust that Christ is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Chapters 4 through 6 are structured around five walk statements. And in chapter 4, verse 1, I would argue that his call to a walk which is worthy of our calling governs these last three chapters. Now, we have found our way to the fifth of these walk statements. It is found in 5.15. We read it earlier. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, this section runs from 5.15 through 6.9. And in, in this particular section, we find four instructions, four instructions for walking wisely in this current age. First, as a Christian, you must, verse 16, redeem your weeks closely. Put simply, to walk wisely in this world, in this evil age, you must redeem your time for kingdom purposes. Secondly, in verse 17, we find that you must recognize Yahweh's will conscientiously. Here, Paul, Paul calls the believer to avoid the foolishness of the world by understanding God's will for the church and for the believer in the world. In 5.18, he gives the third instruction for living or for wise living during these evil days. Instruction three, you must realize the Spirit's work or consistently. That's verses 18 through 20. Now, this is the section where we'll pick up today. In verse 18, Paul gives two commands. The negative command was, do not, or is, do not get drunk with wine. And the positive command is, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, in verse 19, we saw last time that he gives the first of two amazing results of being filled with the Spirit of God. Instead of being controlled by wine, the Spirit-filled Christian will be fully controlled by what? By the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The first amazing result of being filled with the Spirit is that you will treasure, you will treasure our Lord. As such... You will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and you'll make melody with your hearts to the Lord. In Colossians 3.16, he says that we are to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I believe this is instructive. Music should play a central role in the life of the church at the corporate level, together as we gather, but also at the individual level. Music should be a, a, a central part of our worship. Our music, then, should be sourced from Scripture, psalms and hymns that are sourced from Scripture and sourced from a, a rich theology of Scripture. We need to use music to teach and admonish one another as we seek to honor the Lord with our lives. So we need to be careful the music that we listen to. We need to be careful the music that we sing to make sure that it's conveying a rich theology of the, of the Word of God. Now, there's a second amazing result of being filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 20. You will, you will give thanks to our Father. Said another way, the Spirit-filled Christian will give thanks to our Lord in all circumstances. Look at, look at verse 20. Paul writes, Paul writes, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now that's a, that's a mouthful. And there's a, ton of rich theology there beloved do you realize 
that the ability to live without grumbling and complaining is part and parcel to the Spirit-filled life. As such, a complaining heart which fails to give thanks is one of the surest ways to know that you are not filled with the Spirit. You see, beloved, we find so many things to, be, to whine about, right? We, we whine about our lot in life. We whine about our health. We whine about our age, whether too old or whether too young. We whine about our school, our work when we have it, our lack of work when we don't. We complain about where we live, not getting good service at the local restaurant, losing sleep because of our children. We bitterly complain when the Lord doesn't seem to grant us our wishes. We, we go to Him and we think that He's a cosmic genie, that we can just ask her anything we want and we'll get it. But we grumble and complain when we don't get those wishes. We also grumble and complain when it seems that others are receiving blessings, blessings when we feel overlooked. Maybe we, we complain when life, we bitterly complain when life isn't going our way. Church, we are expert complainers. We are expert at it. We're rather good at complaining in such a way that it seems okay. We make posts on social media to, to get others to join in on our complaints. It's how bad it is. We've been granted so many blessings, yet we complain. Our complaints show that we don't truly have thankful hearts. Martin Luther states, if in his gifts and benefits God were more sparing and close-handed, we should learn to be more thankful. The greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded, end quote. Beloved, a complaining, unthankful heart is one that has been, not been supernaturally filled with the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul was a man who recognized the untold benefits of God. Therefore, he lived, he was able to say that I always give thanks. He lived with a thankful heart. It's easy to deduce from the letter of, letter of, of F, to the church at Ephesus many of the things for which Paul gave thanks to God. Let's just walk through them real quick. He gives thanks for election to be part of God's people, the church. He gives thanks for redemption through Christ's blood. He gives thanks for the cross. He gives thanks for the enlightenment, enlightenment to understand what God's will and His actions are toward mankind. He gives thanks for the resurrection and ascension of Christ and of believers with Him. He gives thanks for the creation of a new humanity, the church, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. He gives thanks for our new nature as Christians. We are the new man. He gives thanks for our ability to walk uh, the worthy walk that's worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. He gives thanks for the, the ability to walk in love and in the light. He also gives thanks for our ability to walk in wisdom. So let's walk through verse 20 by answering a series of five questions which will help us determine whether we live a life of giving thanks. So the first question, I think you'll find it in your bulletin, what does it mean to give thanks? Put simply, it means to express gratitude and appreciation, especially for one's situation. Scripture consistently testifies that God's people are to have an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of appreciation and gratitude. 
Now, I want to be careful. This doesn't mean that we'll... It doesn't mean that we'll end up making ourselves right with God by our thankfulness. We are thankful because of what God has done in our lives. See the difference. There are 138 passages of Scripture that deal with the subject of thankfulness. And I would venture to say that our response to the revelation of Scripture, the revelation of who God is, should be one of thankfulness. As an example, in Psalm 30, David speaks about crying to God for help as his enemies seek to rejoice over him. He also speaks of the Lord keeping his soul from Sheol. As such, I would argue that he describes a life of struggle and difficulty with which we are all familiar, right? Yet in 30, Psalm 30, verse 4, amid the struggles of life, he calls God's people to give thanks to God's holy name. According to the testimony of Scripture, an attitude of thankfulness toward God comes from an understanding that He's sovereign. He's sovereign over all of our affairs, and He providentially orders our lives according to His abundant goodness. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. That's what Paul says. That's what he means when he says understanding His will, that we understand His will uh, for us and for the church and, and in this world. And James 1.16, James affirms this truth when he says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. When we understand and when we recognize that everything in our lives is ordered from a so the sovereign hand of a good God, we can truly have an attitude of thankfulness. And yes, yes, if you put that together in James 1, James 1 is all about trials and, and difficulties. And James is saying that even those trials and difficulties, we can even learn to be thankful for our suffering as we come to realize that even our problems come from the hand of a loving and good God. Really, James's point in James 1. We can also be thankful for the mundane and the ordinary because they too come from a majestic God. Thomas Thomas Akempis says this, Be thankful, therefore, for the least benefit, and thou shalt be worthy to receive the greater. Let the least be unto thee even as the greatest, and let that which is of little account unto thee even as the greatest. If the majesty of the giver be considered, nothing that is given shall seem small and of no worth. For it is not, for that is not a small thing which is given by the Most High God. End quote. Beloved, would, do, do you have an attitude of thankfulness that comes from an understanding that we owe our, our very existence? You owe your very breath the next time your heart beats is because of a sovereign God. Do you recognize that He alone is sovereign and good? That every gift Every circumstance comes from His hand. And that we should be thankful for them. Let's look at the second question, which will help us understand or determine whether we live a life of giving thanks. So, number two, when do we give thanks? Paul says very clearly that we should always give thanks. As we read this letter, it's 
hard to escape that these early Christians faced great difficulty and more than a little opposition. We know, and we'll see even more in chapter 6, we know that they were facing spiritual hostilities, even from the demonic realm. Yet Paul says they should always give thanks. Beloved, this is the testimony of Scripture. As as Christians, we know that God is sovereign over every circumstance of our lives. He is aware of every aspect. There is no aspect of our situation that He is not aware of. In Ephesians 1.11, Paul says that the Christian has been predestined according to his purpose who works all things according to the counsel or after the counsel of his will. I am convinced, I am convinced that God shapes every facet of our lives, every circumstance, to guide us according to his will. As such, there is no part of your life There is no part of my life which is out of his control. And it always always amazes me when Christians struggle with this concept. It always amazes me. We see this scenario played out over and over in the pages of Scripture. If you just read the Bible, you can see this scenario playing out over and over. Yet some continue to deny this truth as it pertains to their own life. Just look at Abraham. Just look at Abraham. He was called by God to leave his family. He went to, he went and was shown the land. And God guided him all the way through to the point of being on that mountain to give up his own son. Sacrifice his own son until he was stopped. Though that was be, he was being guided by the sovereign hand of God throughout that whole journey. Well, what about Joseph? What about Joseph? He was sold into slavery in Egypt. His brothers threw him to to the bottom of a pit and then sold him into slavery. Then he was given up. Uh, He he went and and he was uh, accused of wrongdoing in Potiphar's house. And then he was given and thrown in jail and and he was forgotten there. All of that was according to God's sovereign hand. We see that clearly. But what about Moses? He was brought up in an Egyptian court only to be sent out to lead his people out of Egypt. For 40 years he was away from the Egyptian court before he was called back to come back to guide his people out of Egypt. But we we see that clearly. What about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus? He He was going to persecute Christians, and God saved him, miraculously saved him. See, we don't argue those things when, it look, when we look at the pages of Scripture, but when we see it on our, in our own lives, we go, no, 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 I, I have free will. Yeah, well, we could keep going, but you get the point. God orders our lives for His purpose according to His will. Mature Christians recognize this truth as they live in this world. They clearly see the hand of God guiding every aspect of their lives. And for this reason, they live with the understanding that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I didn't make that up. Many of you will recognize that's Romans 8.28. The Apostle Paul. They also, mature Christians, also take seriously James's command to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Mature Christians understand that God brings trials our ways to increase our endurance for the purpose of sanctifying us. 
As such, mature Christians always give thanks to our Lord. Let me just say this. I'm using the word mature. Maybe that's a misnomer. Spirit-filled Christians always give thanks to our Father. Let's look at the third question. Third question, for what? For what are we to give thanks? Paul says, always giving thanks for all things. We've already touched on this. The wise Christian will give thanks for all things. This includes the blessings of life which we take for granted, including the beautiful flowers, the trees, the rivers, the lakes, the the oceans. We are to give thanks for our families, our church, for the place that we live, even if it's not exactly where we want to be. This means we also give thanks for our trials and our difficulties. We give thanks for spiritual opposition. I, I can't say that I've always understood this concept, you know, giving thanks for spiritual opposition. But the Lord has provided much opposition, and I've come to understand that He has used it to grow this church, and He's used it to grow me personally in maturity. He also uses it to teach us to to focus on His will and not our own. Therefore, I have learned over time not to despise those who oppose, but to seek the Lord's will in that opposition. And yes, yes, I am learning to give thanks for those, even for those who oppose. Notice I said learning. I think this is at the heart of Paul's exhortation to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Beloved, do you always give thanks for all things to our Father? Or do you make it a habit to grumble about your circumstances? Do you? This is, uh, this is a serious question. Do you realize that when we grumble, we are like the Israelites in the wilderness who constantly grumbled about their situation? You don't want to be like the Israelites in the wilderness who grumble about their situation. You want to be thankful. Again, the Spirit-filled life is indicated by a heart of thankfulness for all things. Fourth question. How are we to give thanks? How are we to give thanks? Paul says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, the Christian life then, your Christian life, your life is fully identified in Christ. In this epistle, Paul makes this truth abundantly clear. In 1.3, he, he proclaimed that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. In 1.7, he says that in Christ, we have been redeemed through His blood. In 1.11, he says we have obtained an inheritance in Christ. In 2.4, it says that we have been raised up and seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Beloved, when you become a Christian, you are placed in Christ. Therefore, it is by identification with Him that you've been granted access to the Father. Because of Christ, because of His work, because of His life, death, and resurrection, we can have the boldness and confidence to approach the Father. The writer of Hebrews states it in 4.14 this way, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Then he says in verse 16, Now remember, it's because of our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the, to help in the time of need. You see, we can approach with confidence the throne of God to receive mercy and grace that we need to need for that help that we need. We can do that because of all that Christ has accomplished. In Colossians 3.17, Paul takes this concept a step further. Whatever you do, going the wrong way. Colossians 3.17, he says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Therefore, all that we do, all that we do should be done in the name of Jesus. As Christians, this is true because we find our identity in his name. Earlier this week, I was asked how I refer to myself. Do I refer to myself as a follower of Jesus or a follower of the risen, risen Christ or simply as a Christian? Beloved, we are all those things. We are all those things because we find our identity, our sole identity is found in the person of Jesus Christ who is our risen Lord. And we are to live recognizing that. We live recognizing that. John 14, 6, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we give thanks in His name. Let's look at the fifth question. The fifth question, which will help us determine whether we live a life of giving thanks. To whom should, should we give thanks? Well, Paul says, to the Father. To the Father. James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generous, generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus says this, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father who will not, will not forgive you your transgressions. Beloved, clearly the model prayer there in Matthew 6 is to the Father. Paul says in the name of the Son. Ephesians 3, Paul also models this idea. In verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in, earth and on, in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened, with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, 
being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The point is, is that he is bowing his knees before who? The Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Because we identify with him. Brethren, if you desire to live a spirit-filled life, then you will treasure our Lord. And you will give thanks to our Father in the name of Christ. It's what will mark your life. It's what will mark your life. A life of worship and a life of prayer and thankfulness. We would have more joy in life and we would live supernatural lives if we make it our habit to treasure our Lord and give thanks to the Father for all things and all circumstances. We would have much less worry and much less anxiety, and we would feel much less discontentment if we would only do these things. You thought about it? How much do you deal with discontentment in your life? And yet the scriptures are clear. Thanksgiving is the answer to that. Harry Ironside says, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. An interesting quote, William Shakespeare says, How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Can you imagine? Just think of that quote. The reason I put that in there is just think of that quote from the perspective of our Father who has given us life and salvation. Just think of that. See, we need to shift our thinking to realize the amazing salvation that we've been given. Our sin utterly condemns us before a holy God, yet He has shown infinite mercy and grace. We were dead, dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, yet He has made us alive in Christ. We were chasing after the world and all that it has to offer, yet He has raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies in Christ. That is, if you have turned to Him in saving faith. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have trusted in the cross of salvation, if you have trusted in the redeeming blood of Christ, then you'd be thankful. Have you taken up your cross to follow Him? Have you truly been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Or are you still trusting in your goodness? Are you trusting in your meager works to make you right before a God? Are you trying to say, I am good enough? But let me tell you, you could stack all of your works to heaven, and it wouldn't reach heaven. You can't get there. On your own. I beg you, if you have not trusted in Christ, to not let another moment go by without placing your trust fully in Him. And if you do, if you do, and if you have, you will have every reason to live a life of thankfulness. Because He's not only the giver of life, but he's the giver of new life.
the giver of salvation. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we we praise you. Thanking you, Lord, for your goodness, your abundant goodness to us. Father, may we not live as complainers. Those who grumble, dispute, complaining. May we fully realize, fully recognize all that you've accomplished. Fully recognize the work of Christ on the cross, reconciling us to a holy God. And fully understand, as much as we can in this life, that is, what you've accomplished on our behalf. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Yet you have so graciously given, so abundantly given your mercy and your grace. Father, may we live thankfully and never grumble about our situations. May we never complain. May we not succumb to anxiety and worry. May we always fight those things by giving thanks for all things. In the name of the Lord Jesus, to you, Father. And it's in his name. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that we pray.